Cradeline Network. episode of Big Meg One. My name's Conrad, alongside my friend Eli. It's the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the Judge Dredd magazine, volume one, issues 16 and 17, cover dates January and February 1992. This episode, we're starting a new year in the magazine with the end of Reptar, uh, the arrival of the Britsit babes, and more heavy metal dread and midden face McNulty. And if you were to read along with it, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 16, The Heavy Metal Dread Collection, and The Judge Dredd Magazine 299. All right. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. All right. Another, ex- or it's our it's our third, I guess, calendar year of The Judge Dredd Magazine. Very exciting. Going to be some big changes going forward this year, and I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. So has it been that long already? Yeah, I, you know it's uh, tough. With it, it goes fast with these, um, you know, doing two issues an episode and um, mm. each episode, each issue being a month. You know, so six months and you've done, and, 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 and you or six episodes and you've done the year. You know, but mm. yeah. that that yeah. will I guess change. You've already done two award shows. Yeah, two award shows. <laughs> you know, into this <laughs> third one, very exciting. We're as, as we're recording this, we're way ahead of Space Spitter 2000, which has got me in a very weird. I feel like I'm out of time because I'm both starting mm-hmm. 1992 and in the middle of 1991. You know, I got I, I got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get started uh, with this episode with Story One Raptor. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Dean Ormston, letting robot Tom Frame. So we start with a creepy robot decoy loaded with hormones walking the streets of Mega City One in the hopes of snagging this evil alien combo of various sort of sci fi bad guys, Raptor. <laughs> we see the beast stalking the decoy but then it's like wait a minute like this de- this this thing that I'm, I'm 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 stalking also has a lot of judges lying in wait nearby so goes to run right <laughs> smart but, yeah definitely the judges open fire but the bullets do nothing and so it turns and attacks them knocking several judges off the side of the city block they're in it then why tries they go to why did they go into the incendiary bullets like, i would have assumed you shoot two regular shots then you're like Use fire is my yeah. Use fire. Use the explosive bullets or something like yeah. that. These I guess these guys aren't dread, so they don't. You know, they're just yeah, they, following orders. Yeah, dread tells them to switch, but you know they don't. Yeah, they don't have a lot of uh, of uh, independent thinking of, of of their own or something like that. I guess mm, I feel that you know they don't have that go getterness that that dread so epitomizes or something. <laughs> right. As we see when he gives chase to Raptor. And does so by jumping on his bike, which just happened to be up there, I guess, and turbo boosting off the side of the building. He goes flying, lands on a nearby overpass, giving a a couple making out there a fine for public displays of affection, as he does, and chases after the Raptor. Meanwhile, Cheever Mahoon... The uh, the the reporter that's been covering all of these, um, you know, just discovering all of these murders the whole time. 
is uh, interviewing a destitute man in the street with a sweet top hat, Dartington Tremaine III, who makes a passionate request for money. The raptor sees the two of them, but then runs onwards, dreads in the pers- in pursuit and bearing down on the creature when it just throws a big manhole cover at him and escapes into the sewers. Classic 2000 AD style. Gotta get in these sewers. That's where you run to. Yeah. Classic. Cheever then goes to interview the unconscious, or like I guess winded Dread here, but he instead wakes up, gives the reporter three months for bothering him, and chains him to like a post, or like just to a catch post, which I guess is where judges um, stash arrested um, perps. And then with backup minutes behind, he heads into the sewers himself because it's time to finish it. Big showdown. Yeah. Um, nice finale. I like it. Yeah, definitely. Got Early a big, setup. Yeah, big big setup for the big fight. Got to do it. Uh, Mahoon <laughs> sends a drone camera into the sewers after Dread as the lawman walks the tunnels, feeling the pressure from in his head from the fear poison that Raptar dosed him with the last time we talked about this. The sewer is spooky and claustrophobic. And because of this, Dredd takes a shot at a Mahoon's camera drone, which he notices sort of out of the corner of his eye. That, in turn, distracts him when Raptar actually does arrive. The two of them face off, Raptar trying to hypnotize Dredd with his crazy venom eyes. But um, instead, Dredd just headbutts him right in the face for his troubles. Like, you aren't getting at this easy. (laughs) The... Alien tosses Dredd into a pile of skulls, and Dredd sees that these skulls are blocking a sonic blaster device that's kind of lying around, I guess, probably from those sewer techs we saw last episode, or two episodes ago as well. That gives Dredd an idea. He reaches for the device, but instead, Raptor grabs his boot with a tentacle, and thus Dredd has no option but to, like, slip out of his boot and grab for the sonic device with one bare foot. Oh, no! <laughs> it's gross, you know, he's in the sewer and stuff. No good. Right. Some type of gross future sewer disease. Yeah, you're gonna wanna, don't want that. Yeah, you're you're gonna want to get the get the get the powders out, you know, once you kind of get back up to the service and stuff. Um but he does manage to grab grab this sonic weapon, which sends powerful noise waves out that crack and crumble the body of this crystal-based life form, setting it into a billion pieces and destroying it. I guess last time we learned it was like a silicon-based life form. So I guess it had kind of a crystalline form. So they sort of shattered it the way like an opera singer can shatter a glass or something. Ooh, very interesting. I do wonder why. I think that's oddly coincidental and convenient. Oh, yes. But, I, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm like, oh, yeah, sad those guys didn't try that weapon they had. You know, I guess it was waiting for someone more worthy, like, you know, Dread. Yeah, big Excalibur moment. Well, plus probably those things don't really do that much to regu- to carbon-based life forms mm-hmm. like right. you, me or sewer rats, so you wouldn't think of, think mm-hmm. to use it, I guess. Right. Yeah, so I don't know why it's down there if they, they don't have a use for it, and I guess they would use guns first. Well, yeah. I'll give it a pass. You know, I, I guess the sewer cleaners would use the sonic thing just to, like, mm. clean, like, various pieces of sewer grossness and stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of thought there was a block. So they'd have to like you know it'd be like a like like liquid plumber or something like that. Got it. I don't they never know. thought it, to use to clean up evil. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is very convenient. Very um, video game style. Oh yes, like the uh, the 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 big villain 
the final boss just happened to also have all the most powerful weapons and armor just kind of scattered around his big castle and stuff. That's convenient. Um, kind of <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but but one way or another, it's destroyed. Dread, Dreads lost his badge, a boot, his shoulder eagle. He's way the worse for wear. Super battle damage Dread here. But he managed to climb out of the sewers, largely unharmed. And he sentences Cheever Mahoon to 10 years for endangering an officer. All's well that ends well. And in a little final piece, as you do, a little tendril of the raptor seems to still be alive and crawling around and gets picked up by that um, homeless dude or dude experiencing homeless, uh, Dartington Tremaine III, who puts it in his pocket. The end of Raptor! <laughs> now, I don't think Raptor is ever going to come back again, but... Do you know if Reptar ever comes back again? I don't know theories? off the top of my head. I don't think he does. I I didn't okay. see like yeah. a, a return of I don't remember Raptar. if there's a if there's a story that's called like return of like Raptar. Mm-hmm. Got it. I, I I would think they probably could do something cool with like some type of clone of Reptar where it, you know it might be not so well copywritten, you know, and just kind of has its own thing. I yeah. think that'll be interesting. Okay, I'm looking at a thing that says that they have shown up a couple times over the years, but I think they might not be back for quite some time. Got like, it. All right. This is like a uh, one of these, you know, as like Judge Dredd has these has a bunch of stuff where it's like, hey, you know, we've got a bunch of like sort of random baddies or or setups and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if, if it comes to it, maybe we could bring bring them back, you know? Like, hey, like, right. here's a... That makes sense. Just keep it in the back pocket. Yeah, like, just in case, you know. Right. That makes sense. I like it. Yeah, it's looking like... Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now. It looks like we might have some Raptar returns, but not till 2004. So, don't hold mm-hmm. your breath. Yeah. You know? Maybe, okay. Many years in the future. Next time on Dread, story called The Hand of Fate, which I guess we'll talk about next episode. All right. And hey, speaking of um, stories that seem to keep coming back, Eli. Oh, geez. <laughs> there we go. Of inventive page design. Let's talk story two. The Straight Jacket Fits. <laughs> A script robot Dave Bishop, art robot Robert Langridge, letting robot... Robert Langridge, two checks. Um, at so we start at the Brits at Psycho Cubes, where Robo Doc One is talking to a hospital administrator bot, and the administrator's not happy to hear that Doctor Stabbins, Nurse Honey, and a few patients have gone off the page in search of an escaped of an escaped uh, fellow patient. Meanwhile, RoboDoc himself is keeping the rest of the patients um, occupied by having a group therapy session that's reenacting an Australian soap opera, I guess, which is a very sort of England 1991, 1992 kind of joke, Eli. Like, got it. Okay. <laughs> like, like in England at the time, these um, soap operas from. From Australia with sh- shows called like Neighbors and other things like that were 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 very popular in England. Mm-hmm. They were sort okay. of the uh, police procedurals of their day or something like that in terms of just like all these shows w- were cropping up all over the place. And thus in 2000 AD, that means there's also a lot of jokes about Australian um, soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Reflecting I the silent uh, time. 
I noticed the cork hat as well. Is that actually from Australia? Like, I don't. Is that a thing? It's kind kind of is. Like okay, it's like from my understanding is that it's basically the Australian version of like a sombrero in in, in Mexico. Okay. Where Got it's, it. So kind of like <laughs> – Yeah, it's it's less that people themselves wear them day to day and more like mm-hmm. if you're making fun of a country and you need a shorthand right. to do it, then you have them wear it. Like like say right. Lederhosen okay. in, in, in Germany, you know. Got it. Okay. Or something That's, like that. that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a flannel shirt in Canada or something like that, I guess. <laughs> other, other, more racist things. I guess. Right. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, like we don't need can, to go down the ladder. Yeah, don't I don't. I, I don't need to. No, I don't need right. to list them all. You know what I'm talking about. Right. I think. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, exactly. But so anyway, the administrator's not happy about all this. Resolves to come down there and deal with the situation himself. And it seems that indeed things are only getting worse. On the other side of the page. Um, we sort of pick up where we left last episode. There's a big fight cloud going on. You know, there's old school cartoons where everybody fights. It just becomes a big cloud with um, faces right. and arms and stuff occasionally popping out. Um, right. Much easier to illustrate. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Listen, come on. I, I don't have all day. Um, <laughs> the, also, this whole section is a very old school – like, or the first two pages especially of a very old school comic feel. There's this sort of cover that's got like a – you know, everyone dies. A big close up of the of uh, the Jack Nicholson bad guy and stuff. And then around the fight cloud, there's these sort of two columns that have the pictures and names of everybody involved in the comic. I guess, which to me feels very like Silver Age Marvel. Like I've seen a lot of like um like ah uh, the Avengers mm-hmm. are going up against whatever the the evil version of the Avengers. And so right. you just got to – here's just like everybody's name, everybody's face. So you know who they are. Mm-hmm. Fine. Like now we're established. Let's, let, let's continue the story basically. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but so yeah. Um, so fights going on. Um, the Brotherhood of Gaga is going crazy. But Drongo Dabbins has a plan or rather a plan – a plank as he wallops a few members of the uh, Brotherhood with that patient that thinks he's a tree. The fight seems to be resolved, but sadly, um, while Jack has gotten away, both that tree, both that planky tree dude and this weird little dude that's been following them around seem to have been killed. Oh no, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like we've got a mystery on our hands. Yeah, or I mean, well, I guess... At least the plank dude is probably like snapped in half as part of getting as part of walloping someone. I guess. Right. That's that's true. We'll see uh, w- where it goes. It could be anything at this point. But um, I guess next time on the Straight Jacket Fits, we'll be talking about Pink Frost, which I guess we'll find out what that means. Also, all right. Good times. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, modern. I I I I do kind of like the big full page art on in in this series, like when they're on the other side of the page and stuff. I think that's really neat. I think the story is confusing and trying to be really weird, and it just feels like it's trying almost too hard in doing that. I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I always have my weird feelings about it, so I like. It. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know really know what my new ones are. It's. That's fair. Yeah, more of the same it's, here it's, for sure. It is pretty. I will give it that. I do like the colors and composition. Although 
I said, I'm a big fan of legibility. Like I like knowing exactly what's going on. So mm, once yeah. it starts getting a little bit more expressionistic and I'm like, wait, is this happening yeah, at the same time or is this before? It's that definitely me a little bit. Yeah. Di- Low on legibility, I think, is a is is a is a very honest critique of um, straight jacket fits, you know, <laughs> right. for sure. But I guess um, let's so. But speaking of like sort of striking artwork, I think I really noticed that in, in in this one that's coming up. Let's talk, and I guess oh yeah, let's continue our adventures in Britsit for sure with story three, Britsit babes. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Steve Sampson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Oh man, long one here. You're like the first section in, in issue 16 was 16 pages long. That's so long for me. I'm just not used to one story being that long. I'm used to like four pages, you know? Right. Um, yeah, gotta get you invested. I guess so. Yeah, so I've seen this artist Sampson's work before. It was in the, uh, in the 1989-2080 winter special. Which had a very similar artistic look to this one. Because if I had to guess, I'd say a lot of the art that we're seeing in this um, comic is sort of copied or based on like images from, from various fashion magazines at the time. Um, yes, I, I was picked up that vibe a lot. Yeah. So like these are sort of like based on, on photos and maybe like one, like, like models that had a bunch of different looks from one photo shoot. And they're sort of mm-hmm. using those from different situations and then, you know, maybe adding in a gun or two or, or uh, you know, pieces of a mega of a, of a Brit sit judge uni- um, uniform or something as mm-hmm. as they go, basically. Yeah, you can definitely tell um, a lot of the things that aren't actually parts of the models. Yeah, are much more simplified. So you Absolutely. Kind of get a feeling that. Oh, they're actually making this part up, and it's like, yeah, and yeah, this is being referenced. Yeah, I think there's like, the, uh, um, I yeah, you can definitely tell like like there's a part where you see a guy who's sitting on like a on, on like a hover motorcycle for sure, and the difference <laughs> right. between that ca- like the ca- the character and the the and, and the prop that he's on <laughs> have a bit have very different levels of detail and stuff. Right. Almost yeah, night and day, right? Yeah, it's a uh, it's very uh, retro look, though. Uh, yeah, or, or I mean, it's like I feel like it's a like it's it's a contemporary look for 1992 almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's sort of so it's a weird thing because it feels very it feels very like late 80s, early 90s kind of pop mm-hmm. art stuff. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pop art's uh, fairly accurate. It it, it um, took a while to grow on me. I didn't like it at first, but then after a while, it kind of was like, no, that's you know, it's fine. I My original it... thought was like, get a guy to draw his cool bikes, you know, and yeah. have him with the person that's you know using re- these. Oh, like a team up, yeah. I guess, yeah. Like, I'm sort of of two minds about it. I think it is very striking, and I think it's a cool idea, but like, mm-hmm. it does also just make a lot of these people look very static. I guess, mm-hmm. and like, yes. As a story, it's very odd just because as well as the – like it just means all the bystanders are just sort of these fashion people like right. give it, given Posing. the camera blue steel constantly or stuff like right. that, you know. <laughs> right. Like it's no, just – That's absolutely true. Like it's just like like if you had a bunch of – yeah, like Derek Zoolander just like hanging out in the background kind of doing his thing and stuff. It's like, <laughs> okay, 
Right. Like this is interesting, <laughs> but it does kind of all it does almost dip in the into the surreal sometimes, or or, right. or 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 something that like like if the whole thing was like a stylized music video of 1991 mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after a title page with several beautiful people, we then go to the Love Machine, which is Brit Sit's hottest venue. It's a club. There's a line around the block. It's also an image of a of, of a Britsit judge in a leather jacket sort of just standing there as well. Just, right. Again, very fashionable. Right. Very much just a fashion dude standing still in a leather jacket. Right. And then he's had a had a helmet like, you know, glued onto him basically. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, again, like like I'm 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 coming down on it just because I kind of see the artifice. But I do think it, it like it it's definitely a look for sure. Um, so in the bar, a, a brunette sits waiting for someone called Iceman as she's aggressively hit on by some random dude. He's getting a little handsy. And because of that, she sets his pants on fire. He was probably a liar. Right? Yeah. Come on. You know, anybody that gets too heavy into pickup stuff isn't telling the whole truth. I think right. we all agree on that. Yeah. And I think I think that actual scene was when I really noticed the difference. Because mm. the, he says, "Ah, my fronts," and he's just kind of looking down, posing like, like you know, not freaking out at all. Just like, "Oh man, again, my pants are on fire." If someone right. yeah, he's told like, this model, "Hey, look at your look at your pants," as if they were on fire. Yeah, he's in kind of a uh, silly pose as opposed to right. a like, um, "Oh my god," pose or whatever. I don't know. Right. Um, and also, like, ah, my fronts. Like that's that's a, that's a very English <laughs> kind of thing. I think like that sounds like a. <laughs> That's one of those weird, like, uh, cultural things where we all have different words for things. I could see, like, yeah. front, fronts being a – like, actually, no, maybe that's a word for, like, my, like his underwear is on fire or something. Because uh, I maybe. know they call, like, briefs Y-fronts in um, uh. in England, for instance. So, it could be Le- that. Learn so much on this show, you know? Yeah, let's, well, it, it's the shape – of like the hole and like box in like briefs or whatever, you know, Got stitching it. in there. Um, so anyway, <laughs> learn a lot. Yeah. So, so after that, this, uh, she walks the club as a man in like a purple hat and suit with the words cruel written down both of the sleeves kind of notices her and has uh, and sort of talks with, uh, about her with these two lady goons that he's got. Um, meanwhile, the, the brunette, Walks to, over to a sexy pinball machine and like plays it. <laughs> the and, sexiest, the sexiest pinball machine. Yeah, gets a high <laughs> score, which seems to also cause her to have an orgasm and stuff. Right. It <laughs> seems like that. Right. I mean, that's we're really good pinball. We're actually going to learn more about these pinball machines in a different story later this episode. But <laughs> sorry, but this is yeah no one thing. This is a sexy ass pinball machine for <laughs> sure. Um. The, um. Meanwhile, so after this, a lady in a lighter purple with like sort of heart polka dots comes over to her and says, "Like, oh, like Iceman wants to wants to talk to you." As Iceman himself dismisses his lady goons, um, she introduces herself as Shay. We see Iceman. He's like a uh, he's like a like I would say like stereotypical kind of like 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 black dude pimp look or something like that. He's got all gold right. teeth, like mm-hmm. you know. Right. Purple suit, right? Yellow Ex- glasses, exactly. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of purple, a lot of gold, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the the two of them hit it off quickly, and he's unaware that she is in fact part of Brit Sit Vice undercover. 
In the ladies' room, the woman in purple and hearts tries to warn Shay off, but um, she sort of says, I know I'm fine, don't worry about me, and then uses her compact to contact control, saying, like, ah, the fish has taken the bait. Whoa. Elsewhere, (laughs) a woman with white hair and streaks of different color looks out on the city full of high fashion weirdos as she gets off the uh, the zoom tube like the big train that kind of goes into london she's she's narrating this and describes herself as an innocent girl from the sticks with an x who's bait for all the sharks of the big city we see her sort of narrating what she's doing as she kind of plays out like like a shadow play, basically, of like waiting around for 20 minutes. Like, oh, I was waiting for someone and they aren't here. So I'll go to the payphone and call somebody and then have a, have a tearful conversation of like the person who I was supposed to meet to let me move to who I was going to stay with when I moved to London doesn't want me here anymore. And now I'm all distraught and blah, 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 mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Classic. I guess, yeah, standard kind of babe in the woods stuff or whatever. Um, so she does that. Um, and as she, and, you know, yeah, she just, she's doing this very performatively, lots of shouting, making clear that she's alone in the big city here. And a woman comes up to her. It's one of Iceman's lady goons from early, from earlier in this, in this issue who talks to her and warns her about flesh dealers and pretends to be her friend while obviously, you know, doing the thing where you say, like, oh, yeah, you got to be careful about flesh dealers. Meanwhile, I am clearly a flesh dealer myself kind of situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oddly specific warnings, right. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so you got to be careful here. Let me help you, you know. Like, why don't you stay at my place until you get on your feet? I, maybe I can yeah. find you a job, that kind of stuff. Yeah. No one ever asked, how do you know so much about flesh dealers? You seem very educated. Why are you hanging around the bus station late at night, lady? Like, what's up with that? Right. (laughs) Um, But so um, she offers our heroine, whose name is Casey, but going by Daisy, a place to stay. And they head off. And as, as Casey heads off, she notices her backup, Pete who is on a hover cycle reporting it all in. And like we talked about, this is really a situation where the difference between Pete and the uh, motor and the hover cycle he's on is vast, basically. And just in terms right. of like level of detail and shading and other things like that. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that also the uh, because they're using models, the placement of the models can sometimes be a little awkward. Like mm-hmm. the last two pages, there was a pers- person or persons just kind of in the bottom right-hand corner just looking at the camera like not yeah. not a part of the it's just doing a sexy stare yeah that's what uh, i'm saying yeah no the <laughs> the like this this comic is full of extras that are just sort of like 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 zoolanders giving blue steel to the camera basically right. you know yeah like and yeah uh pete throws a drink off his hover bike and then there's just a dude behind him like hey watch it and it, he's just there because you know we have this model here and they're yeah. We need to put them somewhere. It's working Who out, cares I about guess. Perspective? Something, right. yeah. Um, <laughs> so the two women get into the car as Pete follows them. But once they're driving, the lady goon takes out some Electronux and tasers Casey, which both knocks her out and kills her tracer. Oh, no, she's lost. <laughs> so that takes us to next time. Nine pages of Britsit, babes, this time. This is a very long story for the record. Oh, my God, I don't know. Um <laughs> At the Gustav Klimt block, the uh, famous painter of like the Kiss and other things like that, big big dorm room 
um, um, pit poster artist. Um, Shay and Iceman are clearly doing it in his gigantic room with naked ladies painted on the walls. It's quite a place that he's in. Like this is like a four story, like a like a bedroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Anyway, she clearly can't can't deal with all this, so she like sets his sheets on fire, which is weird. Um, Iceman, <laughs> naked, dumps some water from a champagne bucket onto the fire and demands to know how that how he did that. And so she kind of explains that she's got a mutant gene, a, a pyrokinesis mutant gene. That's like the family curse. That seems like she can basically blow things up in moments of high stress. <laughs> and right. kind of says like, oh, you bring out the fire in me, Iceman. Mm-hmm. Right. They, which explains why that guy's crotch got uh, he got, got the fire crotch in the bar earlier. Yeah, definitely. Kind of, you know, <laughs> this is a whole thing. Um, Iceman's clearly intrigued by this. He has her set fire to a hundred pound note to to prove her abilities. Um, but he, yeah. and th- then then he takes a phone call. Through all this, he's been naked, decent butt shots, sort of as we're going through right. here. You know. <laughs> Again, sort of going instead now to the Austin Powers school of just a lot of like strategically placed shadows. One of those Mm -hmm. things where the camera's sort of moving around. So we get a lot of shots that are like over Iceman's shoulder or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you know, whatever, see everything. Um, Anyway, he gets a phone call. It's Avis, who's the lady that knocked out KC last issue. He says to ready another container, which to me seems ominous, but Shay doesn't seem to think so, I guess. Um, he tells Shay to stick around as he dresses and leaves. Shay reports this into control as Avis and Iceman's other lady goon. Avis is kind of this like white lady. He's got kind of like a ponytail. The other lady goon is a black lady with like, an afro. Just sort of, you know, so we're marking all this stuff down. But they are dragging Casey out of their car. Um, back at HQ, we've got more pretty people, sort of a mix of undercover models and this one guy in a suit who's clearly drawn differently from everybody else because he's like wearing a judge uniform or whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry, stop. I'll stop mentioning this next time. I just think it's kind of funny. Um, but so they got to track down Casey because she's lost and the boss is pretty angry at Pete and Pete's pretty angry with himself actually as he cruises the streets looking for Casey, checks in with some other biker gangs and puts the word out that he's looking for his – like he claims it's his sister um, and suggests Control that they just arrest Iceman now. But Control wants to stick it out because Shay is doing successful undercover work. And as always, it's one of these situations where um, they got to, you know, they want to bust the whole operation so they can't sort of arrest just one one piece in it to save their friend. You know, standard sort of undercover cop show stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Next time on Brits yeah. at Babes, what the butler saw. <laughs> nice. But yeah, this is very like sort of high fat, like I, actually combining it with the high fashion, this whole thing feels very uh, like Judge Dredd Miami Vice kind of situation here. You know? mm, yeah, I could I could see that. Like huh. Now, I know that this one kind of did a lot of um, explanation through just like, uh, you know, um, internal dialogue. Yeah, a is lot of internal monologue common? here. I would I, I, I would say no, because, um, you know, a lot. I mean, it, well, it's it's tough because stories themselves can have like different 2000 AD stories ha- often have a lot of internal monologue. Like I feel like mm. they'll sort of mess around with it. I mean, I've even seen mm-hmm. one story that was like second person, which was pretty crazy. Like, mm-hmm. 
It's like, you realize this immediately or something. <laughs> um, That's fucked. But there's definitely – it's definitely not unheard of for this kind of um, internal monologue, although it is kind of unusual in 2000 AD. And especially to have the internal monologue sort of shift from one person to another, you know? Okay. Like, uh, like that makes on, sense. honestly, I'm I'm like eighty percent, eighty to ninety percent sure that in pro, that in issue sixteen we actually got two installments of 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 Britsit babes, like sort right. Of, that's what it seems like. Yeah, because the uh, <laughs> the two different narrators, uh, Shay and uh, and uh, Casey, aren't really super connected to each other, so that could uh, pretty pretty clearly be two. Um, section something we're actually um, um, in the process of running into is that is that um, you know when the when as we're about to talk about when the comic goes fortnightly um, a- after issue twenty they're going to start all new stories so everything that's in the uh, in the magazine right now has to end in issue twenty so I think so we will be seeing some sort of doubling up of of of, uh, of installments of, of of stuff just to. Get us to that end date, basically. That makes sense. That's pretty interesting. I was only, I was mostly asking because when I do my little fan comic of you know the return of Raptar, <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted to figure out how much I could. I have to actually explain, and how much I can just have some dude think really loudly. Yeah, to explain. I mean, I think what happens. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's definitely up to you and how much you want, how much, how much you want that to be internal monologue versus dialogue and stuff like that. Mm. I've definitely seen dread stories that are that where you're in dread's head and he's thinking about stuff as as it's happening. Also, ones that have been very narration heavy, and even ones where like Dred's got a partner for the day or something, and he's sort of discussing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You know, like, like a rookie is like Dred often has to take out rookies and stuff like that. So that's often a good person to have, right? right. You know, be someone to to bounce narration on. Or actually right. the reverse. I, you know, if it was me, I'd actually have it where you get narration by having a rookie and then dread having the rookie explain things because he's sort of mm-hmm. testing with the rookie nose or whatever. But that's right. Conrad's yeah, inside that. dread baseball or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, perfect. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited for this, uh, for our collab for a dread comic <laughs> for sure. Right. But speaking of, of of other fans talking about Judge Dredd, let's talk a little bit about covers, editorials, and dreadlines. All the non-story stuff for these issues. Issue sixteen, Britsit Babes, uh, master of the uh, to, of the um, cover book of, of the comic book cover, Brian Balland, who's a foundational 2000 AD artist, one of the first ones and one of the guys who helped establish the look of Judge Dredd, especially. Um, and, and who at this point has sort of gotten so big and talented that he's had, that he's had to leave 2000 AD and start working for American comics, basically, because well, uh, 2000 AD can't pay him enough, basically comes back to do a, um, <laughs> a, a, a magazine cover here. Wow, I'm very the, talented. Just looking at it, yeah, Ballin's great. I, I mean, at the moment, he's basically doing like if you need a cover that's got like Wonder Woman or Superman on it in this era of DC Comics, he he's the one who does them basically, and has that's cool. Does real iconic looks for those characters and a bunch of other ones in in, in DC Comics. Nice. 
But yeah, so we get um, sort of a, a a fancier version of the of the two main ladies that we'll see in uh, in in Brits at Babes in in issue sixteen. Um, on the inside cover, there's more crazy horror movie ads, and then the editorial wishes us a happy new year and mentions the return of Dreadlines, the letter pages. And towards the end of the issue, there is indeed the big Dreadlines page. It's got a – actually, I'm surprised at how negative a lot of these letters are. Like there are definitely people saying that certain stories aren't that great and they'd rather not see them. But then those are always balanced by having letters that are also like, oh, but I love uh, Al's Baby or Straight Jacket mm. Fits or whatever else, you know. Mm. So it's very – I guess it's – now, do they like pick the ones that come in or oh, yeah. just like okay. – Yeah, yeah. I, okay. It's very much – they're getting a ton of letters, I, I'm imagining. So they can sort of – you know, yeah, they very – if there's a dialogue taking place between these letters, it's one that's been orchestrated by editorial, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So I think yeah, – I, I do think that's smart. Yeah. Um, to I mean, have like positive and negative. Definitely. I mean especially because I think – you know, some of these stories are kind of like – are a little different than the standard fare. I mean, you know, I really like Dow's Baby, but it's definitely not the standard thing that they've got. Like I think mm-hmm. Dean Orn- Ormstrand, who gets mentioned and did like the Raptar art and stuff, isn't your standard dread artist. So I think it's sort of good to, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of honor some of that feeling from your readers and things like that. So I think mm-hmm. it's okay. Um, one thing I, I, I think is kind of funny is someone does sort of a timeline and theorizes that Al, that the, uh, the kid, like, like Al's kid from Al's baby, um, mm-hmm. is born right around the right time to grow up to be Judge Fargo, who is the, um, <laughs> The, the the genetic fo- like a ju- is the guy that 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 Judge Dredd was cloned from basically. That's funny. So, so sort of theorize, <laughs> you know, noticing Crack Al, case. yeah, noticing yeah. Al's big chin and sort of <laughs> like the general pension penchant for violence and stuff and all. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, the time does work, but um, that's so funny. Instead, the uh, uh, Judge Pal, who responds to all the letters, instead plugs this upcoming story called Armageddon, which is supposed to be like an origin story of the world of of, of Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, okay. really, get, it is, it doesn't right. really get that far for the record, but that's sort of what its intention is and definitely one that they're sort of starting to tease a little bit. And it also seems like it doesn't confirm or deny that uh, that theory either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely no no confirms or denies here. Like they're like, ooh, interesting. Well, we've got a right. comic coming up that might answer some questions. Right. <laughs> That'd be so cool if that turns out to be canon, you know. I mean, it would be a funny thing for sure. And definitely, you know, it could definitely be your head canon. I'll say that, like, the current right. – like, especially at this point in 2000 AD, the – um. The canon of how you get of like there's this whole section of there's some time period things we know and a lot we don't know and kind of right. how how you get from the Volgan invasion of of Europe <laughs> to sort of <laughs> this sort of force of like vaguely Russian, vaguely Nazi like <laughs> invaders. How you got from them invading and eventually ro- like war robots being used to fight them back <laughs> to Judge Dredd is very much a question mark. So it's up to who- whoever you want to talk to about it, basically. <laughs> but we'll talk about that more for sure. We're we're going to get into it eventually. 
Um, there's also ads at the end of this comic for a reprint comic called Dread Rules, which is basically just collecting a bunch of Dread stories from 2000 AD with a fancy new cover. And an international anthology comic called Expresso, which is a bunch of like European and like American comics, I think, maybe of a of a sexier variety, um, sort of being pu- published by by Fleetway as well. But one which seems very mysterious, like it doesn't have a Wikipedia entry. I kind of tried to look up like Expresso comic, and very much I just found like one or two issues on eBay for a moderate amount of money of just like these are rare comics, but no. Not a lot of details about it. So if anybody knows anything, again, ha- interested to find out for sure. <laughs> um, there's also an ad at the end of the comic to win some original Dread artwork. And it's a real bait and switch because this cover has the Brian Ball and um, Brits at Babes cover and says, like, you could win original art, which is very much implying you could win this Brian Bolland art, which would be very desirous to people reading the comic. But instead, it's um, art from Young Death and uh, I, I think Raptar as well, which is nice, but definitely, you know, you know of a different different, right. different tier than what you might expect from what the cover tells you is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to be right. an asshole. I'm right. just trying yeah. to say, like, you know, there's, there's, there's relative levels of these artists, you know? Correct. Right. I'd also say it's a different vibe as well. If you're thinking about, oh, man, I want that on my wall. And then instead you get, you know, like a close up of Judge Death's face as a, as a child. You're like, yeah, yeah. You isn't get... really solving the same purposes. You yeah. Know, some that. of the some of the grosser Judge Death images. It's very, very <laughs> different for sure. Right. <laughs> and then the comic ends with an ad for an Amiga microcomputer. A lot of video game ads these days. Um, so we go to prog to sorry issue seventeen. I'm in two thousand two thousand AD mode. Uh, but yeah, issue seventeen to the death. I'm shocked at how many Raptar covers there have been in the course of the magazine. There's been like three. Um, but uh, Dean Ormston is earning that paycheck, and I do like how we get this <laughs> this battle damage dread. He's had his shoulder eagle ripped off and stuff. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the editorial now announces that the magazine's going fortnightly. It's going to be uh, coming after issue 20. So three issues from, from where we are now, 18, 19, 20. So get stoked. Um, and that's going to also see the start of volume two of the magazine. So the numbers will reset. So it'll go like – so the, the next three ish, three episodes are going to be like 18, 19, 20, and then one basically. Mm-hmm. Just to keep sense. keep things nice and confusing, you know. But, so get stoked Perhaps. about that. Um, yeah, there's also plugs for another Dread collection series. This one called the Complete Judge Dread, which is basically going to be like all all of the Dread stories from the start in order, basically. And the issue ends with an ad for that comic and a reprint of Judgment on Gotham, as well as an ad for the VH for a direct to VHS horror movie called 976 Evil Part 2, which sounds pretty dire, especially because it seems like there's a uh, a pay phone line you can call to do like a touchstone choose your own adventure thing. Um, that that's attached with it. It's like, you know, 35 cents a minute or, or 35 pence a minute <laughs> when you go. Ridiculous. All right. And speaking of ridiculous things, Eli, let's get some time travel. Oh, and and figure out what's canonical or not, which is always messed up by time travel. Let's go to story four, Middenface McNulty. 
Uh, script robot Alan Grant and Tony Luke. Art robot John McRae. Coloring robot Grimsy, Grimsby. Lettering robot John McRae. Again, to double paychecks here. So we see a bunch of Scottish mutants. We know they're on the run from the, from the Strong Team Dogs. And they've arrived in Mega City 1 in the year 2114. They get all this information from a frightened Mega Citizen. And they're confident they'll be able to take on any of their pursuers. And then we get kind of this communications breakdown where they've got these thick Scottish accents. And they're trying to say, like, hey, are there, like, any police here or any cops or something? And they're like, but they call it, like, like polis and, like, you know, bobbies and a bunch of other, like, sort of um, Scottish slang terms for policemen. And this mega city guy's like, I don't know what you're saying at all. You know? <laughs> I also like how they sort of ask him a couple questions and then they need to ask him more questions. So they stop him by just shooting him in the knee. Like, they shoot, they blow <laughs> off one knee and they're like, are they police? And then he goes to hop away and they blow off the other knee. And like, hey, do you know, like, like a good restaurant around here? Just sort of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty good ultraviolence, basically. <laughs> Back in Scotland and in the future and the future even from where we are then. So the future future. Um, Min, uh, bounty hunter Middenface McNulty is complaining to his grandma that all of his, all of his time gear has been stolen by these no good punks. And he can't get more of it without calling in to uh, Strontium Dog headquarters and admitting that he got so drunk that all of his stuff got stolen. So he's kind of in a rock and a hard place here. Um, and it's especially worse because, one, they also stole his grandma's birthday present. And all this stuff was stolen and taken by the Clooney gang, the most wanted gang in Scotland. Luckily. Tough on the name break. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. <laughs> Luckily, though. Um, Middenface's grandma has a plan. She mixes a pot of quantum tea and uses the tea leaves to and a pocket calculator to um, temporally track the Clutie gang. She does a bunch of math, figures out they're back a million years ago when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. So um, they use Middenface's one remaining time hopper thing. And they send Midface and Granny's dog back to Dino Times, where they almost get eaten by a T-Rex before heading back. <laughs> Bob, Bob the dog just thinks of Mick Woo as they just <laughs> avoid getting chomped. Determining that her math was wrong, Granny heads back to the drawing board and back in the past. But still our future, the Clutie gang are chowing down at this fancy restaurant and making plans. After they beat up the waiter and dash on the bill, they're heading out, making plans to take over the city. Like, oh, there's no cops. So I guess we'll just go to City Hall, take a few folks hostage, and then we'll be kings. But then, unfortunately for them, a judge arrives. And Judge Bray it is, not Judge Dread Bray. Um, he says mutants aren't allowed in Mega City 1, so he draws down on them, shoots the time machine that they're trying to use out of their hands. And seems to be about to arrest them when one of the gang members, uh, Cats, attacks him and knocks him down. And so the rest of the gang members come in and put the boots to him, which is pretty bad. Yeah, you don't want that. No. Suddenly that mid cat was pretty vicious. Yeah, vicious comes out of nowhere, man. We got cat versus dog action here. Very scary. Mm -hmm. um, 
But be- but before they could do more, um, Midface McNulty arrives on the scene and chases off the Cluties. But Judge Bray kind of comes to and just sees Middenface as another mutant, you know, an accomplice to those other mutants and wearing a dress. So he prepares to open fire. Mm, as you do. Absolutely. Luckily, as the judge shoots, Middenface activates a device that blocks the bullets, which is pretty lucky. And Bray, now helmetless with a black eye, calls all this into patrol as Middenface runs out, runs to find the Cluties. He takes refuge in a place called the Dream Palace, but then loses sight of uh, Bob the dog and finds him in a dream machine. And we see into his, like, what the fantasies that Bob's having. And he's like an, he becomes an anthropomorphic dog about doing something to, like, do something weird to a pink poodle kind of thing. And it's, it's real. I don't know. It's just, it seems pretty disturbing. And Middenface <laughs> sort of pulls Bob out and scolds him for it, basically. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I don't know whatever. what else to say about it. That's yeah, just... <laughs> no, moving on. Elsewhere in the city, a gangster and his accountant slash muscle Marvis are walking the city. Collection protection money for a boss named Mr. Muzzle. But one merchant can't pay because his shop has been taken over by the Clooney gang. The gangsters try to muscle the the uh this uh you know the Cluties, but Mavis and St- but Marvis I should say just gets shot a couple of times by one of the gang members. Another's trying to figure out how to fix the time machine, but it's going slow. Suddenly, though, it flares to life, but it just sends this guy Tusker back to the middle of Custer's last stand, where the cavalry general thinks he's like an evil Native American monster or something. And then Tusker hits a button and gets traveled back in time, just in time to distract Custer to get killed or get attacked by one of these uh, 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 Native folks, which is fine. Um, As this is happening, a judge drives by, sees the the store has been attacked, but the mutants are long gone, sort of calls it into control. And the shadows of that, Middenface has Bob sniff around for clues to try to track these Cluedy gangers. And it seems he's found the trail, but instead he just leads Middenface to a parade of fatty pets. Oh, geez. And there's just a bunch of this, you know, members of the fatty subculture in Mega City One parading about with their pets. There's a big fat dog, big fat duck, big fat giraffe, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, my favorite is the bird trying to fly. I think that's the duck. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not getting anywhere. No, no, no. It's very (laughs) – listen, listen. In comics, this is funny. In real life, hey, real sad. Don't ever feed your pets. Come on, be cool. Right. Like I don't I don't like those <laughs> chunky Yeah. You know, I, I momentarily chuckle at those chonky dogs and cats out there, Eli. But after I do, I also say, Oh, that's sad. You know, that's not good for a dog to be like that, you know, whatever. Um Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of strange creatures with distended physical forms, Eli, which is gonna be the theme for the rest of this episode, frankly. <laughs> um it's fair. Let's continue on to Story 5, Heavy Metal Dread. Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robot Simon Bisley, letter robot Tom Frame. So more crazy dread stories here. Um, all the like these were first printed in a heavy metal magazine and now being printed here um, by sort of big popular artist at the time, Simon Bisley, who's like, you know, a big influence on 90s on, on 90s era british comics basically and, and beyond for sure but we're gonna see a bunch of Bisley clones as time goes by um 
But yeah, the first one we read was a musical, was a, was a musical story. This one isn't actually in tune to anything, but is definitely a, a musical reference. Um, as we see in Mega City One, in a in a Mega City One bar, a kid comes in, a Juve with no eyes, ears, or mouth. It's Tommy Who, presumably a minor relation mm-hmm. to Kenny Who, I guess, but also. Okay. A pinball champion and a reference, of course, to the musical Tommy about a pinball wizard that was written by the band The Who. So, you know, we just got got jokes on jokes here. Um, Layers. Yeah. He's got a manager that's heard this bar has a love machine, which is that same sexy, like, sexy mind pinball machine we see in Brits at Babes this episode. So, whatever. It seems like you don't play it with flippers. You, like, press these... sensor buttons and it connects to your body and like as you play the pinball it like arouses you so you kind of (laughs) gotta it's like an extra layer of distraction to keep you from getting a pinball high score I guess gross not gonna lie to you this doesn't you know I don't know if I'd want like like I'd be interested in having a pinball machine in my house Eli but not this not this pinball machine right right and then what's it say when you're like, oh, I'm a, I got the high score. Like, uh, all right. Is this right, yeah. a nap- napkin or like, what do you? Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a different kind of thing than like those, um, I don't know if, if you ever tried like those love tester machines where you got to like grip a thing and like mm-hmm. it's based on, on, on like how you, how, how hard you can squeeze like this like handle. Mm-hmm. But this seems no, like, okay. <laughs> it's kind of this old timey bar game or something like that. I see. Yeah. But but just this is a whole different layer of that and like a again a, a gross layer for the right. record. <laughs> but everybody's been trying to play it and no one can get more than like slap and tickle, which is real rough. Uh, but now Tommy pl- is playing it. Of course, he's the best. Everybody comes running to see, which of course, like the big crowd alerts Judge Dread. He arrives on the scene, cracking heads as he goes, as Tommy's going for the high score, the big one, Earthshaker. And it's real weird. Um, like his knees give out and his manager's holding him up by the end, which just implies a lot of weird stuff. Um, <laughs> Dread arrives, orders Tommy to sh- stop or he'll shoot. But of course, Tommy can't hear him because, you know, the no eyes or ears <laughs> or whatever. So instead, Dread does shoot him, and we get a pretty graphic image of his brains getting blown out here. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> There's some, again, rough stuff coming at the end of the, <laughs> of the episode here. Um, so it ends with Dread sort of walking off and the manager cradling the, uh, the corpse of Tommy in his arms, saying, Tommy, can you hear me? Which is, of course, mm-hmm. you know, a reference to the musical. <laughs> you know, Tommy, can you hear me? <laughs> that I'm with you. Oh, Tommy. Okay. Um, next up. Tommy sorry. had teeth, apparently, which I thought was fun. Oh, yeah. I guess inside his sealed up mouth. It's disturbing, yeah. I got to say. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you'd have otherwise. I, I don't want to think about it too much, honestly. Let's sort of right, move on. Right. Um, yeah, let's go quickly. Right. This story is called – the next story is called Chicken Run as a bunch of dudes in sweet hover bikes get bored and decide to go cruising straight to the John Major block where it seems like everybody looks like then-current UK Prime Minister John Major. The 
bikers descend on the block and they're kicking heads and kicking people's asses as the people all complain like i say this is most uncalled for and so forth um Luckily, the block Bat Gliding Club is nearby, which we've seen in the course of 2000 AD, which is sort of these um, um, full-body hang gliders. But in this case, all of them look like Batman costumes. So they swoop in to give the bikers a stern talking to. And it's like, you know, they're like, this is most un- Im- this action's most improper, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and whatever, which I guess might be a reference to, like, Something John Major was doing at the time, like being wimpy about something, I guess, in 1991 or, or 1992. I'm, I'm not sure, for the record. I, I just happen yeah. to hear if, 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 if you're listening and know and can tell me. Like I know right. we missed in the early days of, um, of the Mega City News, which is, there were a lot of references to this block tax, which was about a poll tax that was going on in England at the time. So I assume this is just more of the same, just kind of political stuff that is a little bit opaque if you're from another country and 29 years, you know, and 28 years later, you know, <laughs> right. it's sort yeah. of a whole thing. Um, anyway, um, one of the bikers bites off one of the bat majors heads as dread arrives and shoots a few of them and the rest of the bikers escape. You know, they, they blacked out their affiliations when they came. So it seems like it'd be hard to track them. And Dredd's low on leads, but he's got an idea. Back at their clubhouse, they hanged a bitten off head up on a trophy on the wall and think they've gotten away with it. But then Dredd comes bursting through, punching it, punching people in the face. And another, just n- another head getting blown off pretty graphically Ooh. here <laughs> as the rest of the gang is arrested. How did Dredd know where to find him? Well, when a bat's head gets caught, gets bitten off, you might as well check with the Ozzy Osbourne block. <laughs> yeah. Rare, rare Big Meg One air horn. But, you know, um, Ozzy Osbourne, the the singer, was famous for, for biting a head off a bat at one point. Right, so. right. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes here that I don't think I got. No, <laughs> like, no. I gave lot. them credit. Yeah. I was like, good joke. I don't get it. But I know this is a joke, and it feels like it's done well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before, where that's sometimes the best you can do with these comments. <laughs> where, again, it's very much a uh, – sometimes the jokes end up being things that are you, you kind of have to have to be in England in 1991 or 1992 to really kind of get instantly, you know. And there's some things that that, that, that that I get, I think, maybe just because I, I, I am a little older or whatever. But then mm-hmm. once it gets very English, I also got to tap out. I'm just like, I, I don't know. It could be anything, you know. Right, right. <laughs> like there's no – you know, it's definitely a, definitely something that's happened in the course of this podcast where there's been jokes that I think are just sort of extremely random that turn out to be like a reference to a, a, a commercial at the time or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. So, I do. We got to do our research. Keep it up. It's hard, you know. It's hard to just mm. kind of be because, like, the the way I research usually is just going on like a couple of Facebook groups and just kind of being like, "Hey, can someone explain this joke to me, please?" Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I just can't. I can't do that for the entire comic, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, you wouldn't have time to read the comic. Right. Yeah. Although I guess, listen, if you want to be, if you want to read along with us and kind of like, you know, send me an email yeah. explaining the jokes for the next couple like years of the, of the, of the podcast, I, I I would accept that. You know, you could be on the, you could be get an official role in the show if you wanted it. You know. Yeah. But so speaking of weird people looking weird, Eli. 
Let's <laughs> continue on to story six, Strange Cases. Uh, script robot John Smith, art robot John Hinklinton, coloring robot An- An- um, Angie, Mill- An- Angie Mills and Wendy Simpson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Um, yeah, so we've seen these before, strange cases, one-off anthology stories, and this one has some crazy Hinklinton art to go with John Smith's usual body horror. I wrote that in my recap, Eli, before I had read the whole comic, just assuming it would, ha- <laughs> it would happen, and I was not disappointed. Right. <laughs> um, maybe, Run you know, the money. Yeah. Um, so we start with a judge sort of torturing a citizen, and this judge has massive, like, semi-tattooed eyelashes, and I a huge badge that says STRANGE in all caps with two exclamation marks sort of in green across the badge, like extending on both sides of the badge. And while we've seen in previous episodes of Strange Cases that it says it's Judge Edwina's Strange Cases, this is in fact the first time we've met the character of Judge Edwina, who is now he, you know, Judge Edwina Strange, who is here to sort of introduce this story um crypt keeper or rod serling style you know she kind of shows up lays the background of the story and then kind of kicks it off to the story itself basically in this case for the the, she's encountered some strange cases in this case the one of crime boss murray murray novaks and his wife estelle and in the story, she's off to some concert guarded by goons. Meanwhile, Murray stays home in his dragon robe. When he hears a voice, he goes to check it and sees that it's Canaanite, a catechist and prophet of some kind that he's got in like a back closet nailed to a wall and his fingers are cut off. And he's just right. real, real like disturbing to look at, Eli. Like that's- right. Yeah. Wasn't yeah, so like like there's there's loops in his yeah. hip connecting him to the wall. Yeah, it's 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 a rough spot. I definitely did a lot of like when I was recapping this, like only only looking only focusing on certain parts of the page because I didn't really right. like to look at it that much. I gotta say, right? Very um, well, very good disturbance. Like it. Oh it, yeah, it did it really good. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, this is very much what this artist John Hinklinton is best at is drawing these mm. comics that have images that are very disturbing and make you sort of, you know, think about stuff even after you're not looking at them. Right. And they stick with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stick with you and be very, very sort of put you off kilter and stuff. So I think, yeah. you know, he's doing his he's doing a good job. It's just also a job that makes me uncomfortable, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but so Canaanite says that Murray the mob boss has risen to power based on Canaanite's prophecies. But after 25 years of service, it's time for him to be set free. And if he doesn't, he'll hurt everyone around Murray. Cause it seems like Murray, when he bound Canaanite sort of made a deal that you can't hurt me directly, but didn't think about the other sort of knock on things of that. Um, he's Canaanite sort of threatens Murray's wife and he runs out to see his, to see Estelle drowning in a glass elevator full of water or something. And as Murray sort of sees her death throes, he also remembers the backstory of this and summoning an alien, an entity called a catechist into his own brother's body and killing his brother to get this power and stuff. Um, his wife is dead and Murray's pissed. He's going to kill this demon. He grabs this weird head, sh- like, 
It's kind of half like Easter Island, half like dildo kind of shape thing, basically, Eli, is what I want to say. It's, it's a weird shaped statue. I can confirm that you're, yes, you're yeah. not making that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it kind of starts bludgeoning the demon with it and stuff. It breaks a lot of its bones, but it seems like that's just what the demon was hoping for, because once its de- bones are broken, it's not bound by them, and we see it just extend this giant like fleshy mouth from out of its body in like a toothy smile and attacks Murray, and later this guy that's like Murray's neighbor comes to check on him and f- opens the door and finds basically like Murray's skin like nailed to the wall i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like but like nailed like the the it's like the you see like his back basically and like mm-hmm. shoulder blades and stuff are back there but like i think mm-hmm. like his arms like his forearms and hands and like you know shins and net legs are also attached to the skin and right. then you see so like his, bent upward yeah and then like his body's like crawling around and it's just like all guts and bones and blood and stuff and it's just whoo The more you think about it, the more disturbing it becomes. Like like. it did. It it, like I I I will say, and I feel like Hinklinton would take this at high praise that it did turn my stomach to kind of see the end Mm -hmm. of 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 this story. You know, so so well done, I guess. Um, So he's he's gutted bodies crawling around on the floor, and the neighbor screams and won't stop. And there's a stranger in Mega City One. Oh yes. And I guess we got more strange cases going forward. You know, moderate times, Eli. Moderate times. <laughs> I mean, this this artist, John Hinklinton, this is really his specialty. And we've seen stuff in 2000 AD that were very much him pushing, like, the limits of what was possible, like, to get past, like, sort of their their standards and stuff. And it definitely feels mm-hmm. like in the magazine, especially for gore, they can ju- he could just kind of do what he wants, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I think, yeah, uh, if there was a line I had, he blew past that one. So yeah, I could definitely feel like. And it's extremely <laughs> extreme, for sure. Right. You know. And uh, uh, again, of two minds, like, you know, I appreciate the artistry. There's craft here, right. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I started this um, uh, uh, in uh, process where I'll see the first page, realize the artist, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to subject me to this time? Yeah, yeah. Hinklinton's got a very like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like um, uh, it's like when someone comes up to like, – like, like when you're playing like like baseball when you're a kid – and like some guy who's real good at baseball kind of comes up to the plate and like, all right, let, let's just back up here. Like, he's probably <laughs> right. going to hit it into the outfield. So let's just kind of like get ready. Right. Very, it, very it, much the Hinklinton feel, you know? <laughs> right. I, I'm so hoping that one day he surprises me. Cause you know, you, I see the art. I'm like, okay, get myself into the grossest mind state. Just oh, prepare yourself. He'll fake you out. and It'll just kind of be like, like, like a calm, like some guy goes, right. go, goes to work kind of comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or it's just like, oh, and this person met a kitten. All right, and then that's it. And oh, goes to bed, man. has some dreams. You know? I would, oh wow! I would pay good money for that kind of comic from John Hinklinton, just because. <laughs> I feel like you'd have to pay extra because it just go against everything he holds dear, you know? Right. Because exactly. I think and just, he clearly loves drawing weird, gross stuff, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got shivers thinking about it again. Yeah. Listen. Uh, it okay, doesn't yeah. Make, it's still stuck with me. All right. Let's move on. 
<laughs> Eli. <laughs> We've reached the end of the stories for this uh, for this episode, issues sixteen and seventeen of the of the Judge Dread magazine, volume one. So I got a question for you, which is, what were your top and bottom stories for this one? All right, let's see. I'd have to put. Hmm. All right, let's see. Because I was actually after going through it a second time, I had a new top. Ooh, nice. It was. Let me try saying things right. Uh, it was um, rock on Tommy Who. Oh, that nice. Was, yeah, uh, one of the heavy metal dreads, for sure. Yep. Uh, the, uh, I really enjoyed the art and uh, this weird pinball machine and the grossness of it. <laughs> that, that, that combination. I was like, you know, like, not sure if someone was like, hey, teach me about Judge Dredd. I'd show them this one. But now that, you know, I'm experienced and I kind of know what's going on. I feel like this kind of does encapsulate a lot of what I like about Judge Dredd, which is right. weird sci-fi tech. Like, that kind of makes sense, but in a weird way. Yeah. And then how, you know, a judge just blows someone's head off just, you know. Obviously, the person doesn't have ears. Didn't think about that. Now their brain's on the wall. And here are some, uh, you know, references about, you know, this the these yeah, songs and bands. Definitely. Like, I feel like <laughs> those are the ingredients yeah, I um, I agree yeah. that that we've definitely got some. Um, there's like some this like 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 this part and the magazine in general actually is kind of like intermediate to advanced dread. You know, Ooh. like this isn't Ooh. this isn't beginner dread. This is like you got right. like I mean that's why that's kind of why we did the, like I I want you those primers and stuff like that just to kind of be Ooh. like I got to give you some baseline for this because you can't just jump into it because there's just some weird shit. <laughs> right uh awesome so right. what do you what's your what, what what's your bottom story then what do you got for that um i am not gonna put straight jacket fits there only because i feel like i've talked about it enough <laughs> i think because i feel like it's i keep putting it there and it's like we get it eli you're not a not a fan like i don't want to keep talking about it <laughs> i think aside from that i would go with uh uh brit sit ch- babes oh yeah um I think it's mostly the juxtaposition between the models and the, um, uh, every other element of the comic, mm. and uh, <laughs> and I think it's also because I just haven't gotten into the story yet. Yeah, interesting. I don't feel too invested. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm you know still has some potential. I could see it growing on me, mm-hmm. but uh, just what I've gotten so far, I'm like, oh, all right, what maybe. You know, I'm waiting to wait for that other shooter drop so I can, you know, start getting into some of these twists and, you know, characters and more pinball machines and stuff like that. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I How think, about you? Oh, man. Um, I actually I think. Listen, I don't I, I don't have the same misgivings you have, Eli. I don't care. So I'll <laughs> I'll happily put straight jacket fits on my bottom. There's no no shame in my game to make that my, my bottom story. Um. I think for my top, I got a couple ideas. Like I, I thought, I thought the straight, the uh, the heavy metal dreads were okay. I didn't really think um, Raptar was all that great, to be honest. Um, I am kind of liking Middenface McNulty just because it's kind of fun and just like yeah. kind of madcap action and stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> Crazy time travel and yeah. a bunch of things. Um, I'm almost tempted to put um, Britsit Babes in there just because I feel like it's a real audacious choice to, to or like like the art choices are really trying, like they're really mm-hmm. trying to do something here, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I dig that. you know, like, like there's ambition in the attempt, which is important, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But I don't know. In the end, though, I think I'm going to end up giving actually two strange cases this time. Just <laughs> because, you know, I've really enjoyed John Hinkleton's art in 2000 AD and – it is, and while it's not the most pleasant thing, I am stoked to see him here in the magazine as well, just being real weird and gross. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give that my top because it's just something that was really, it's it was it was arresting and something that's going to stick with me for a while. So I feel like you know, <laughs> right, you know, in a value neutral kind of way, that's definitely. <laughs> like a top story for me, I guess. All right. Awesome. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook in uh, on our Facebook or Twitter pages. For both those, check out Big Meg One, the uh, written out o- um, Big Meg O-N-E, and you'll find us there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kip Miller, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with myself and Fox from Space Spinner. Then come back next time. Uh, um... As we will continue on pretty much all of our current thrills, we'll just have um, um, be continuing those installments. We're powering to the end of Volume 1, and we'll celebrate 15 years of dread as well. So, until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Mac 1. Drop it!